Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Trashy Podcast. This is the show where we're out to prove once and for all there are no garbage movies, only garbage opinions. It's me, Keith. We're here for our final episode of the year, and also what may be Elliot Greenman's final episode of his life. Elliot, Uh-oh. how are things going? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, Keith. You know, we got we, our last episode, we talked about snow a lot, snow day, snow dogs, the concept of snow. And for the first time in quite a while, we got snow on Christmas. But I got a special gift this Christmas, and it's called COVID-19. Yeah, we got nuked, and you got nuked. That's right. Uh, I'm fine. I'm doing really good. Uh, f- fully vaccinated, boosted, whatever. Uh, just a breakthrough case. Uh, very mild symptoms. Doing doing just fine. But it was uh, it was and it was two days before Christmas that I tested positive, and I've just been kind of held up in a hole in a little locked up way in a bedroom for the past week but i'm pretty much symptom free now and to put it in perspective you have been on the front line in this war for survival during uh what i i'm lovingly referring to as the covid years yeah because you work in a bar which is an essential service especially during times of crisis in modern <coughs> america mm. so you've been making sure that people stay nice and liquored up and uh calm and uh, stave off depression and loneliness and all of those things. So I'd put you right up there with being braver than, you know, the Green Berets, the National Guard, <laughs> naval welders, all of those people. I think uh, bartenders are arguably some of our nation's greatest heroes. So thank you for your service, and thank you for uh, taking one for the team. Well, thank you very much, Keith. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's been it's, it's, it's kind of funny, like past two years but not funny man- haha right <laughs> he's still funny just not haha funny um yeah the past two years somehow managed to avoid it managed to avoid it working in a bar even before vaccinations but let me tell you something this uh this omicron variant is no joke yeah there seems My- to be a significant outbreak in uh, like the tacoma area yes uh-huh there's i mean i know more people who have tested positive this past or tested positive or just have symptoms. Cause also getting tested right now is kind of an ordeal and you might not get your results back for like, by until the time you're better. I got more stories about that. I can get into in a second, but quite an ordeal. And I know more people in the past two weeks that have tested positive or, or have symptoms than in the past two years, everyone else combined from the past two years. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy, but so my work, we, you know, been, my work, I want to say a lot of bars have not been, and bar owners and business owners have not been the best about operating in this system, keeping their, trying to keep their employees safe and customers safe as best as you can. My employers have been excellent about it as they've taken every measure they could given the environment, which is still like, just by the very nature of it, it's going to be more dangerous than others, but they've done a really good job and always looked out for us when one of us 
either had a, you know, we had very few cases prior to this, and but always looked out for us when we did when someone did, and uh, we decided to have a Christmas party. Everyone on staff is fully vaccinated. We all took a rapid test the day of the party, and this was you know a little over a week ago. So this is when the guidance was still like if you can if you're vaccinated. If you take a test, you're going to be okay, even in face of Omicron. And we took that, and then the next day it was like, Omicron accounts for 70% of the new cases, up 60% since last week, and et cetera, et cetera. And in the next couple, few days after that, about half of the staff tested positive. But once again, my employers have been awesome. They just decided to close completely until the third. They're paying everyone for their lost wages in that time. And... So basically, I just had a weird little vacation that was consisted entirely of me hanging out in a bedroom, trying not to infect Francis unsuccessfully because she has it now too. Oh, Francis! Well, it's actually kind of funny, and this is where the the testing and all that stuff, where where it's difficult, and particularly the more I keep reading that the tests are not necessarily as great at picking up Omicron, particularly the rapid tests. But I came down with symptoms on Thursday and tested positive that day with a rapid test. And then I went and got, uh, and I had tested every single day with a rapid test after the party just to be extra safe. And uh, they came up negative. And then on Thursday, I tested positive. Went and got a PCR test that day. The next day, Francis had symptoms. And between now and then, she's taken four PCR tests, four rapid tests, and they all came up negative except for the last one, last PCR test that she took on Monday. She got results today that she was positive. But she's been obviously been positive since the very first one, you know, on, on Friday when she took it. Interesting. And I know that's – and I've talked to some other people that I know who are currently sick that that's kind of the same thing. They started feeling sick, got a test, negative, took another test four or five days later, positive. Yeah, it's fun. But yeah, I said, all things considered, feeling really good. Uh, never really felt that bad. If this was a post or pre-COVID world and I felt this way, I just would have gone about my daily business because that's what you did. Um, feel pretty much 100% right now. I have a little bit of residual phlegm, but that's about it. And that's one of my favorite takeaways from this whole ordeal is how did we fucking exist so long? With everyone just being like, wow, I just have some cold symptoms. I'm still going to go to the store and go to work right. and just fucking spread it around like a piece of shit. Like, Well, because your work was like saying like, well, you got to come in anyway. That's why. And <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Not- and I get two people like, you know, I've been in that position where I'm like, I don't want to miss work. And but right. like for everyone's mindset across the board to be that is like, that was that was the real illness all along. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So I hope, yeah, I hope going forward, that's the one thing I hope we keep uh, moving forward is when you're sick, you're not expected to come into work. You'll hopefully get paid for it, whether it be COVID or otherwise, you know. Yeah, it's fucking nonsense. Like, But it was a weird little vacation, like I said. Uh, I just hung out in the bedroom and my days actually went by really quickly. I was never really bored or anything. Yeah, I'm uh, kind of surprised you didn't get uh, cabin fever or start to crack. Like, talking to you, you sort of showed no signs of... In fact, you seemed a little more jovial than usual in some places. Well, it was was kind of weird. Like, um, 
I I had trouble staying like focused sometimes. Like I'd be watching a TV show and just kind of like my mind would wander and I'd find myself less like on my on, like on my phone or something or I'd be reading and I'd be, as I'd be reading like I'd lose track of what I was reading. So like focusing was a little bit more difficult than normal, but and I think that's just because I was stuck in one spot and letting my mind wander was a way of getting out of the room. I watched some movies that I would normally never watch. Yeah, you did. Well, it was kind of weird cuz you're just like so me and Francis did this thing when we were we don't have to isolate anymore now because it was funny because like yeah, yeah once you're infected it. you can just start mingling with other infected. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, like you knew she had it because of like the progression of symptoms and the time frame and was just kind of like she hadn't been anywhere or seen anybody. She like went to the grocery store like a couple days before the weekend, but it was just like without confirmation hundred percent confirmation that you, that she also had COVID. It was just like, well, I guess we should just keep isolating just to be on the safe side, even though we can't really do it that well in the apartment, you know, cause it's just a one bedroom apartment. And anytime I came out. Yeah. Um, she'd have to like sleep in the kitchen. Right. And then she was sleeping on the couch. I'm sleeping on the bedroom, in the bedroom. And then also because, uh, her, her symptoms were a couple days before behind mine when she started feeling the crappiest is when I started feeling better. So then I was like, well, fuck, I guess I got to try and take care of her a little bit now. So, you know, she'd been making me food and all that stuff the first few days. And then I'd be like, okay, well, let's just open up all the windows. I'll put on masks. I'll come out of the bedroom and I'll make a meal and then I'll go back into the bedroom and then you can eat in here and I can eat in there. But like, that's a little detour. Since we were isolating, what we would do is we'd pick a movie, like a dumb movie to watch and I'd watch it on my laptop and she'd watch it on the TV and then we would just start at the same time and then we would text back and forth about the dumb <laughs> stuff that was happening. <laughs> Little Italy, which is a romantic comedy with Emma Roberts and Hayden Christensen about two warring uh, families that own rival pizza parlors. Um, a movie with Rob Lowe called Holiday in the Wild about a, a rich white woman going to Africa to save elephants and falling in love with Rob Lowe. What else did I watch? Oh, I watched, under your recommendation, The Ice Road, which is a movie I would totally watch otherwise. Uh, last night I watched uh, Barb and Star go to the Vista del Mar. Oh, yeah. How's that? Well, that was a movie that I actually did kind of want to see before this. It's not a movie I wouldn't watch either. But it was uh, I enjoyed about, like I would say, 60% of it. Yeah. It, the movie is not at all what I expected. It's a weird, like, Austin Powers spy movie almost. That's how it starts out with like an underground lair of like some supervillain that's also played by Kristen Wiig, who has this plan to release genetically modified mosquitoes on the Florida population to kill everyone. Hell yeah. Great plan, Kristen. Which if you watch the trailers, that's not what it looks like at all. It just looks like two ladies from the Midwest going on vacation in Florida. And yeah, there's like these three different storylines going on that all felt like they were from a different movie. And they didn't necessarily gel well together. I think sometimes movies can pull that off. And this one didn't necessarily pull off the different tones and wackiness 100%. But each segment, there was something that I laughed at. But I definitely liked the parts more where it was more grounded in just the, the storyline of these two people from the Midwest going to going to Florida and being amazed by like all the quote-unquote exotic splendors. I think it's cool that they portrayed it as one type of movie and had yeah. more to offer. But 
But I think it's also funny that they were like, oh, we thought of this gimmick for these characters, but it Mm -hmm. didn't have enough legs to support a full movie. So we had to add all this sort of twist kind of nonsense extra plot. That's really interesting to me. Yes. Uh, So yeah, I enjoyed it. There's a few parts that made me laugh really hard. Yeah. And mostly those were in the stuff where it was Midwest people just being Midwestern-y, like... But there was other parts too that just kind of like throw away side gags and stuff that had to do with the more of the spy plot and stuff that I laughed pretty hard at. So it's it's free on Hulu. I'd give it a watch if you don't have anything else to do for sure. It's Um, free on Hulu. Well, I guess it's not free. (laughs) I don't pay for Hulu. I use someone else's. Thieving son of a bitch. That's right. Oddly enough, my favorite movie I watched during quarantine, I didn't watch that many movies actually, but was this movie called Love Hard. With, uh, which was another romantic comedy, it was pretty ridiculous, had all the tropes, had all the dumb dialogue, but it got me genuinely emo- emotionally invested b- by the end. And I, want, and I wanted these characters to succeed and fall in love. Hell yeah. So uh, it's got Jimmy O. Yang and Nina Doprev. Doprov? It starts out pretty, like I said, like pretty by the numbers, all the things you expect. Of these things, bad dialogue, insufferable characters. But over time, I actually got quite invested and enjoyed it. And like, and it hit, at that moment, it hit all the right notes for me. So there you go. Yeah, I feel like when we're ill, our defenses are down, and we're yeah. vulnerable to and susceptible to stuff like that that you, yeah. you normally wouldn't fall for. Like you might roll your eyes and and scoff at, but when you're sick, like you're helpless against their power. Well, you know, and like I said, it had the same setup as a lot of these types of movies. It had a lot of the cliches and, and similar characters, you know, side characters and whatnot, and all the all the tropes. But I think it was a little bit more thoughtful in how it fleshed out the characters over the course of the movie than a lot of these movies are. Uh, so I ended up enjoying it quite a bit. Did you catch any? Are you a Christmas movie guy? Did you watch any Christmas movies? Do you have any traditions? Uh, so I don't have a bunch of Christmas movie traditions. Actually, a couple of those movies, the, the Love Hard, that was a Christmas romantic comedy, and so was a, uh, so was the 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 Rob Lowe and uh, Kristen Davis um, elephant one. But it was so like like I forgot like halfway through that it was supposed to be a Christmas movie, and then they were celebrating Christmas, and I was like, oh shit, this was a Christmas movie. Yeah. Uh, there's not a ton of like. I feel like I have to go and watch these movies every Christmas, largely because I think you've just at this point I've just seen them so so many times. You know, like Christmas Story is a good movie, but I don't really want to watch that again. You know, like same with It's a Wonderful Life. It's a good movie. I don't want to watch it again. I've seen these movies a hundred times since I was a kid. I guess maybe I could go back and watch some of the ones that I never really saw, or maybe only saw once a long time ago. It's, I don't have an aversion to these. Like, if there's a new one coming out, sure, I'll check it out. See, everyone's debating and arguing, especially the last five years. Oh, is is X movie a Christmas movie? Right. The, the Die Hard debate, all that shit. Die Hard and Lethal Weapon were always on at Christmas. Like, that right. was the TV programming. Like, they clocked it 20 years ago that those are Christmas movies. Oh, yeah. So, like, that debate was over back then. So, for me... Those movies are as much associated with Christmas as Home Alone. I mean, even yeah. like Die Hard 2 
it's set in a fucking airport during like holiday travel. You know what I mean? Like what what's more Christmas than that? I think those movies were intentionally supposed to be Christmas adjacent, you know, not just taking place on Christmas, but like be non-traditional Christmas movies. I think that was in the intent, and I don't really think there's a debate. No, it's Shane, Shane Black's whole deal is that he loves Christmas because I think, yeah. too, if you look at some of his other movies like Last Boy Scout and some other stuff, like, there's always Christmas shit in Half it. of his movies take place on Christmas. Yeah. The Nice Guys takes place on Christmas. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang, right? Yeah. And some of those, some of those I would say are not Christmas movies. They do are movies that just take place on or around Christmas, but I think it's pretty obvious that Lethal Weapon... Uh, two and one right they're both on christmas right oh lethal weapon two is that i want to go on christmas um maybe not i don't know lethal lethal weapon is definitely christmas it's and they both have traditional christmas like themes about families coming together and getting over differences and blah 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 it's not it's not up for debate guys like go fuck yourselves. If yeah, I mean the 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 common takedown is that oh, if you removed Christmas from the plot, it would still work. Like right. okay, sure, but like the addition of Christmas makes it better and more interesting. Like the backdrop of the Coke deal at the Christmas tree farm in Lethal Weapon is tremendous. You could take Christmas out of A Wonderful Life and it would still work. That movie's incredible, by the way. It is actually a really good movie. It's I cannot like- believe how. Like, I've seen that movie nearly every year since I was a kid, yeah. just by way of it being on television. And there are some years when I was less interested. Sure. I watched it this year, and I could not have laughed any harder at a lot of the, the gags and jokes. They're mm-hmm. fucking brilliant. <coughs> Jimmy Stewart is a fucking once-in-a-lifetime performer, and despite the fact that it's set during like the depression and world war two and you know a time when cars were still new and the world was a completely different place there are so many universal themes that fucking moment when everyone shows up with a bunch of cash to help out george bailey the guy who sacrificed everything for his rinky dink small town Mm-hmm. is that will always be such a gut punch, like, wonderful moment. And the fact that the bank examiner, the bank examiner who is there to send George Bailey to prison, like, tears up the warrant for his arrest. Like, yeah, it's fucking awesome. And everyone can, you can rag on the uh, the stupid every time a bell rings kid at the very end, yeah. in, like, the final moment. Well, you could throw that away. Everything prior to it is a sprawling epic, and it's fucking charming as hell. When the uh, the drugstore owner is drunk from grief at the death of his yeah. son in the war and accidentally mixes up the poison, and jo- little George does the right thing by not delivering the medication, and they have that confrontation in the back, and he realizes what's going on and they both cry together oh my god dude mm-hmm. like you have to and have a hit- heart made of stone yeah and he hits him in the ear and his ear starts bleeding right? yeah isn't that that scene and it's like it's really like it's not there is an edge to the movie and like i said i it's i've seen it so many times i don't necessarily feel compelled to watch it around christmas time but it's not a movie i won't watch again 
I'm sure I'll watch it multiple times, you know, throughout the years. And normally a movie that's that, uh, that is that kind of like positive feel good or, and, or also that religious based, I often have an aversion to, but it's not really a religion based as in like, be a Christian. This is the way, whatever it's like you said, it's universal themes, uh, seen through this particular lens of Western culture, you know? No, and I think the the ideas of faith ultimately points to faith in each other and exactly. faith in your community. Exactly. Right? If yes. you do good things and help people, you know you'll have people to lean on when times are hard for you. And like, absolutely, it's a great movie. And the more you pay attention, like it's easy to put movies on as background noise. The more you pick, the closer you pay attention to that movie, the better it gets. Yeah, it's awesome. I yeah, cannot it, believe like how good it is. Like, it's the, much. There's a scene where uh, Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey has like a sort of a filibuster against uh, the evil Mister Potter, and he's talking about how these common, you know, poor people, uh, they'd have to save their whole life in order to just afford a home to live. Mm-hmm. And he's like. When do you expect them to start living your life? Like we may not be doing profitable business, but we do good business because we help these people have a home for their families and in, enjoy their time on earth. Yeah. And it's it's awesome. It has so many great messages and so much like great it like it is, you know, kind of sentimental and kind of sappy, but man, it's great. It's really well executed. That's 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 a certainty. And like you said, watching it at different stages of your life, when you get older, you pick up on like certain jokes and gags and it's, it's not just, um, it's not just a, a, a Christmas movie about someone learning the meaning of Christmas or life or anything. It's much more involved and in depth than that. And huge portions of the movie don't even take in the flashbacks don't even take place around Christmas. You know, it's, there's a lot more going on. You said, like, charming is correct. It is charming, but not enough. It's not forced. This actually kind of transitions nicely, because we're talking about faith, losing faith, regaining faith. It's one of the main themes in this movie we're talking about, which is not a Christmas movie. It's it's the rare New Year's Eve movie. Oh, not just any New Year's movie. That the is true. New Year's movie. The end of the millennium and the mark of the new. Perhaps a transition from from one era into no era. This could have been the end of all things. This could have been The End of Days, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. 1999. 1999. That's the year. That is the year. And let's talk about the 90s for a second before we get into... Arnold Schwarzenegger's romp with the devil because are you do you mean we're going to talk about my favorite decade of all time the decade that I definitely don't dislike yeah your favorite music and fashion and uh, cultural touchstones honestly the peak of the crow are we going to talk about the crow we're going to dress up as the crow hell yeah go wandering around town actually do you have you ever seen the show letter Kenny uh, I've seen like a bit of like, I think, the, I think I saw part of the first or second episode. It's one of those shows I know I should probably give a shot to, but I just haven't. Well, we, we won't get too deep into it, but there's a group of, uh, meth head kids 
on that show that and they all kind of dress like the crow and, as, Hell yeah. and especially the leader of their little group it's like they're trapped in the 90s that's what i should have tried to do while, while locked away in this like covid hole was finally watch the crow, force myself to watch the crow all the way to the end and then when you were feeling better you could have emerged as this generation's iteration of the crow okay all right I don't I don't want to talk about the crow anymore. Yeah, the point wanna... is it has nothing to do with any of that. The 90s were a time of religious fervor and panic. There was mm-hmm. a lot of cult activity. Cults were very big, people getting sucked up into cults and living with cults and committing suicide with cults and it was a real culty time. But the religious panic also culminated in a lot of sort of religious themed movies. Right? Yeah. In 1997, you had The Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino, where the devil is trying to sire the Antichrist, right? Yes. I thought he was just trying to be a, lo- a lawyer. He was trying to start a legitimate law firm, you know? Yeah, sure, he was defending sleazeballs, but that's just part of the game. You know, everyone deserves representation. And here comes Keanu Reeves being like, oh, you can't be a lawyer and the devil. No, you missed it, man. It, uh, the whole point of that movie was Al Pacino trying to trick Keanu Reeves into fucking his sister to bring his about the si- end of wait, the world. To fu- into fucking the devil's sister or his own sister? His own sister, who happens to be huh. the daughter of the devil because the devil fucked his mom. So wait, he's then he's also the son of the devil? Yes. So he's the son of the devil, and he has to fuck the daughter of the devil, and his dad's the devil. Yeah, an, an incestuous union must create the Antichrist. It's pretty oh. wild, like, when you really boil it down. It gets it gets sort of buried by the, the scenery chewing of Al Pacino. <laughs> but, like, all those details are in there. Huh, I really don't remember that movie very well. Oh, man, it's great. <laughs> it's one of the best. <laughs> Give it another shot, I guess. But it wasn't uh, just that, right? In 1998, Fallen. Yep. Fallen with Denzel Washington. And uh, uh, I think John Goodman also John is in Goodman. that movie. Yeah. Uh, but that's about a, a cop chasing a serial killer who is believed to be a, what, a fallen a angel of, or the devil? Or? Some sort of something like that, yeah. It's, you know, it's in the same ballpark. Yeah, some uh, kind of avenging. There's angel. that movie with, what, is it called like Lost Souls maybe? It's got Winona Ryder also about like the... The Antichrist baby growing up. Oh, maybe. Ah, it's really bad. Uh, Bless the Child. That's another one from that era. We also, I'd be remiss if we didn't also mention uh, Stigmata, which came out in 1999, along with uh, uh, End of Days. Does that one also have Gabriel Byrne in it? Um... Yeah, it does, actually. He's the priest instead of the devil. Yeah, exactly. He's on the, the side of good rather than evil. Uh, and then also the ninth gate with uh, oh yeah Johnny Depp yeah Johnny Depp which is that's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine uh, because it's it. so fucking stupid but it's like uh, it's like a Nickelodeon cartoon version of like an HP Lovecraft story it's hell funny. yeah the only thing that could make it better is if it was Jeffrey Combs instead of Johnny Depp <laughs> Johnny Depp. But yeah, so you see just all of these movies just back to back to back leading up to uh, the end of the millennium because it was really this time where 
everyone was afraid of these numbers. Everyone was afraid of the calendar changing. Like it was just terror. All these predictions that the end of the world was coming or that Jesus was coming back to, to scold us for all the terrible things we've done to his planet since he died. Yeah. And coupled with that, it was the uh, Y2K scare, mm-hmm. right? This idea that uh, all, all computer systems were imbued with this error in uh, their numerical calendars that would cause systems to shut down worldwide. Credit card right. system, power grids, I don't know, alarm clocks, microwaves, whatever. Like mm-hmm. it, it was the the big fear, at least amongst adults. As a teenager, I was could not be bothered with this, but the fear amongst adults was that uh, we were going to be sent back to the dark ages. Right. And, the world would descend into chaos. Uh, ultimately, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, we th- <laughs> the irony being that if you, if you read the Wikipedia about it, especially uh, all the, the people that mattered, computer programmers and what have you, uh, they caught the problem far enough ahead of time, they were able to just correct it before right. it, it was went no south. big deal. Like it, yeah, it turned into a very non-problem despite all of the, the hype and fear around it. And so that's where we were when uh, End of Days came about. We were right. at the precipice of uh, the whole world uh, descending into a hellish nightmare. Yeah, Luckily, a, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Peter Hyams came along to save us all. Yeah, what is the plot of this movie? It's uh, it's about an ex-elite like elite cop, like not a regular cop, one of those like super cops. He's lost his faith because his what his family was killed by like mobsters or something. And did he lose that, his faith? Like, did he have it before, or does he just have a real bone to pick with God for his you know, family he said, dying? He says specifically that he and he lost his faith because him and God had a. He doesn't. He didn't stop believing in God. He just lost his faith because him and God had a disagreement. Yeah, is how he puts it. He goes, God thought that his family should die. He thought that they shouldn't. Um, <laughs> That's a real difference of opinion. Yeah. <laughs> How are but they ever like, going to get past it? The basic setup of this movie is similar to a lot of these other ones you've mentioned. It's about the devil trying to bring about the end of days with uh, a baby that's going to be his concubine, a human baby born. I love it the- when they they have characters to spell out the plot of this movie. It's There's literally a, a yeah. weird character on the subway that says to this female character, he's going to fuck you. Do you see him? Yeah. He's going to fuck you. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. That's the story here. So the devil's just trying to have sex with this just lady. trying to and, get laid, baby. And Jericho Cain, as played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, is the only one who can save her purity and stop Satan. A.K.A. Uh, ben Hur Christ. Ben Hur Christ. What are what are some other name combinations that could have uh, fit in there? Frank Incense. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Detective Frank Incense. Incense. Uh, NYPD. <laughs> uh, this is a fun movie, though. It's uh, not without its flaws. Very underrated. It's a it's it's a it's a fun little slice of late Arnold stardom before he retired temporarily retired retired from from acting this is him really stretching creatively yes and no I mean I think at times well at least he thinks so I'll get it we can get into this more later I have this distinct 
feeling that this script was heavily rewritten once he got cast to tailor it to some of his sensibilities because this movie doesn't really start out as an action movie, but it has some bizarre like action scenes that seem like they should be in a different movie inserted into it here and there, particularly towards the end. Here's an interesting piece of trivia. This movie was offered to both Sam Raimi and Guillermo del Toro, but they I both turned the, it down in yeah. favor of other projects. Holy shit, what could have been? Well, you know, I still like this movie, and I still like Peter Himes is a director who has a very, like, all-over-the-place output. You know, he's kind of like a like a work like a journeyman director where he's like a director for hire to a certain degree degree but he has hints of being an auteur at the same time uh he directed one of my what i would call one of my favorite throwaway movies where it's it's not necessarily anything noteworthy but i just love it which is a uh, outland which is basically a, a a remake of high noon in space and yeah he has he's not someone without without talent and he can del- he can usually deliver the goods most of the time. There's some some really bad movies he's made, but I think he he has that ability. Yeah, he had actually had a pretty cool string of movies in the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Time Cop, which is arguably right. one of Van Damme's best movies. Absolutely, and I it has a very similar feel to End of Days, where you've got this action character being sort of depressed and mopey and being a little bit more dramatic and less of a sort of action superhero for the most right. part. And then they also were on sudden death, which is kind of a fun, just like a fun uh, action movie. And then he also did the relic, yeah. which in recent years has gained a lot of popularity and is a very simple and kind of clean, efficient, just like a fundamentally sound, like sci-fi horror movie, like something I- you can watch and not, you don't have to think too much about it, and uh, it looks real good. It delivers on some scares. Pretty solid. I think that you, you when you just said clean and efficient, I think that's a great way of describing uh, most of his better movies. Is They're not groundbreaking. They're not uh, anything that you're going to be like, I have never seen anything like that. you got to watch this movie. But they deliver the goods. They're well made. Yeah, just fundamentally sound. Yeah, which by proxy just makes them stick out because it's like a lot of other movies tend to be uh, uneven, especially if they try right. something kind of new or out of the box or wild. It's like when you go to a diner and order just like a basic, you know, standard breakfast, but it's extra good. Yeah, the eggs are cooked perfectly. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's nothing you haven't seen before, but it's it's better than normal. Yeah. This movie, right off the bat, got me hooked. And, you know, I'd seen this movie before, like years and years before, and I hadn't really remembered it that well. Upon watching it a second time, right out of the gates, I'm just like, okay, I'm in. This is what happens within the first 15 minutes. In the first 15 minutes, a weird doctor played by Udo Kerr feeds a baby in a hospital snake blood to see if it's the concubine of Satan. Uh, let me stop we, you right there because yeah. the shot where he takes the, I mean, he like cuts the snake open with a knife and sprays blood everywhere. But when he takes just a little like dab on his finger and puts the snake blood up to the baby's lips, that shot stood out to me, obviously, because it's a revolting moment. But you know, they also had to like really play it cool 
for the uh, the ratings board. Yeah. In order to get that through. And they did such an exceptional job of creating an angle where most of Udo Kier's hand is uh, covering the baby's face up. So, like, there's a gesture. You know exactly what's happening, but you don't see it directly until his finger uh, is pulled away and leaves the blood yeah. behind. It's mm-hmm. kind of brilliant, honestly, yes. in order to achieve the desired effect, but also skirt sort of, uh, you know, the oversight committee. I was Absolutely. really impressed with that. Well, as you said, this is a this is a director who, by and large, I think later on in his career, he started phoning it in probably after this, but he knew he knows how to make a movie, you know, like he can just, he comes in and he goes, I watched an interview with him. It was actually funny. It was in a, it was in that, like that, there was like that eight part documentary about OJ and the murders and him getting in all this stuff. And he, Peter Hyams is in it and he's talking about when he filmed Capricorn one, which has OJ in it. And he was like, OJ wasn't really a greatest, great actor. So I put facial prosthetics on him and in his mouth that forced his mouth to do what I wanted it to do. <laughs> That's a hell of a quote. And also like, okay, like if you can't direct somebody to get the results, like, holy shit, just jam some dentures into their <laughs> their face. Okay, so that starts. That's that's where we start off in this first fifteen minutes. So that sort out starts out. Then we cut to the present day. The present day being nineteen ninety nine, um, and we the devil emerges from like the sewer as this like weird like cloud, goes into a restaurant. It goes into the bathroom restaurants. Takes over uh, the body of a human played by Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne instantly walks out of the restaurant, walks up to a table, whips a woman's breast out at the table and just starts making out with her then instantly leaves the restaurant and blows the restaurant up with his mind then we cut to arnold schwarzenegger in his apartment contemplating suicide pulling a gun to his head only decides to stop because his business partner knocks on the door his business partner played by kevin pollack walks in arnold then instantly turns around and does that thing where he takes all the food in his kitchen Pizza, Chinese food, beer, Pepto-Bismol, puts it into a blender, blends it up, and drinks it and says, hey, breakfast, most important of the date meal of the day, right? I love this how is... that's a riff on Arnold Schwarzenegger's sort of real-life signature, like, protein shake. Like, he was always talking yeah. about that shit in interviews and stuff like that and, you know, bringing that stuff on set to whatever movie he was on. And so I feel like he's responsible for writing that into the script like maybe the original script was just like oh he mixes like an old beer and some pepto-bismol with his coffee and drinks it. right but then he was like no 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 watch this well that's also a thing i've never seen in an actual serious movie i've seen that as in like spoofs you know or like snl skits you know it's one of those things where it's like we're kind, we're all aware of this you know hard on his luck rough and tumble like loser alcoholic guy doing that and then drinking it and be like, ah, whatever. But we've never seen, I've never seen that in an actual movie. And this movie just like, you know what? We're going to fucking do it. When we stay with it, it's like one by one as he's yeah, talking, it's a long he's scene. conversing yeah. with Kevin Pollock and there's a cut every time he adds something new. And like, yeah. you're able to identify each individual ingredient. Although and I couldn't quite a... tell what the Chinese food was. I'm guessing it looked like fried rice and maybe some noodles. 
I'm pretty sure what it was General Tso's chicken and chow mein. That would be my guess. Uh, and he drops a piece of pizza on the floor, picks it up, and throws it into the blender. And all the food is on the counter. It's n- None of it's been refrigerated. So it's who knows how many days it's been there. It's yeah, amazing. without any daylight exposure. It's absolutely amazing. I love it. I want to go back real quick, though, to the Gabriel Byrne scene where he's possessed by the devil in the bathroom because this is the era of the modern, dark-haired, long-overcoat, New York-style devil. Yes. Like, he's a the devil takes on a form that is a modern city guy. He looks like maybe a a Wall Street guy, like a day trader or a banker or a lawyer. And so when when Gabriel Byrne walks out of the bathroom, he has this newfound swagger. And like you said, yeah, he immediately walks over and like honks a woman's boob, much to the dismay of her husband or whoever that guy is. Yes. But she's so enamored with the kiss and the moment from him, you know, because obviously the, the devil has maximum charisma, that when when he walks out and that building explodes that struck me as like the same moment from the matrix reloaded when the merovingian like gives that sort of computer generated lady her like her orgasm uh, pie ones or and zero orgasm yeah right it's that same kind of like timing and beat like yes. it's, it's super like sleazy and just like it's like right on the money with like how all of these movies at the time were like oh the devil's like a suave like charismatic ladies man and like you could never resist his charm. I, I think actually that's one one of my I think Gabriel Byrne is a great actor. I think he's good in this, but one of my I think possibly least favorite movies or, or least favorite parts of this movie is his casting because he is just so much what the devil in human form was at the in movies at this time and there'd already been a bunch of movies that had done that i wish that they would would have cast a little bit against type perhaps because he hits all these boxes where he's just like he's aloof he he's unconventionally handsome yeah he's sarcastic and witty he has this like mystique about him not just as his this character but just as an actor that's what he has i mean like he's the unusual suspects he is the the decoy Kaiser Zose, Kaiser Zose, which is often referred to as like this devil-esque character. And I do think this is kind of fun. It uses the same line that the usual suspect has about like the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. In a, which f- is a- far less uh, interesting or well-written format. And right, then Rod true. Steiger delivers it with all the fucking like emotion and passion of like a wet paper bag. True, I actually oddly like Rod Steiger in this movie quite a he, bit. He, but, he, I saw an interview with him talk. He seemed so excited to be in it, and yeah. he just like it was like an afternoon <coughs> at the parent teacher conferences for him. He's just like. That's kind of what I like. It's just kind of like he's <laughs> he's just so matter of fact. He's like, yep, there's Satan, then there's God, and this is. I wrote down in my notes that Rod Steiger is like a QAnon follower almost, where he's like, take the numbers, turn them upside down, add a one, and all this stuff. He's like, see, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's been thinking about these events for so long that now that they're here, yeah. he's like, yeah, what's the big deal? 
And they're all finding the Satan on the internet, like the same way as like, I, was, I went on this website, I did my own research, and I found Satan <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> it's it's pretty it's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't, this is not a knock of Gabriel Byrne. I think he's does he does everything he needs to do as the actor he is. I just, wouldn't it be nice to like maybe have like, some, like the devil take over like a goofy guy or something and even have the goofy guy not act goofy anymore, but still look goofy. Like, why is he, why is he signaling out like, ah, oh, this guy is kind of like oddly sexy. I'm going to be him. Wouldn't the devil want to be a little bit more incognito? Or I guess not because he's so vain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's part of it too. But also, I think it was also, you know, this notion of like, uh, you know, rich people being sort of evil and, you know, yeah. success only comes if you make a deal with the devil and, right. uh, you know, greed and, you know, all of those kinds of things associated with it, right? Oh, but yeah, true. I think I... Uh, like, yeah, some goofball or even like a big, like obese guy, like mm-hmm. one of those sort of, uh, who's a good example? John Goodman? No, John Goodman has too much of that, like sort of Midwest, like when he smiles. Yeah. Just yeah. like squinty eyed, like <laughs> I don't know. He's not bad in the movie. It's just like the like that. If I'm nitpicking, that's just one of the little things I nitpicked. That it was just kind of like it was just too obvious. No, and it's and unfortunately he also uh, kind of if you had seen uh, the Devil's Advocate prior to this, he mm-hmm. is more than overshadowed by Al Pacino's kind of over the top. Right. Scene chewing performance. He also, Al Pacino also gets a way more better, or way more better, some significantly better <laughs> I love that. dialogue and lines to deliver. So he's got a lot more to do. There's mm-hmm. also more sort of scenes and moments of his devilry, like interacting with people yeah. on the subway and uh, going to parties and, you know, this and that, just doing all kinds of things. Gabriel Byrne gets a few moments like that, where the kid, uh, like the kid with the skateboard, where they, the yeah, kids, that's a, that's a great part. kid with dreadlocks. He's got a T-shirt that says Satan rules or something like that, and he says, "Hey, kid, nice shirt." And the kid like says, "Fuck you." And as he's skateboarding across the street, he says, "Hey, kid," and the kid looks back and gets immediately gets hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. That's great. He had he yeah he has some good lines like when he first to God is the biggest underachiever of all time and what does he call the Bible? He says something really fantastic about yeah I can't remember but you're right it is a good line. Hold on, let me look it up real quick. Yeah, you read that overblown press kit they call the Bible. You know what you're going to find out? Yeah, shit happens. Oh man, that's good stuff. That is really good. Overblown press kit. That's what this movie is, and that's kind of what. It's unfortunate that this one kind of just um, got forgotten to a certain degree for whatever reason is it's just a good, like, fun thriller that delivers delivers most of the time. And it does have Arnold being a little against type, even though, like we said, like, it's clear that the, the script was rewritten to put in some big action scenes that seem slightly out of place. Um but like he just does stuff. He just goes for it. He gargles vodka. He does all these super cliche, like uh, depressed ex-cop uh, tropes. But somehow pulls them off and doesn't make him feel like they're. He's just going by the numbers, you know. It's, well, now I think that's the the thing is all of these things have been done before, but he's never done them before. Right. Yes. Like the no, that, when he has the he has the cupcake. 
from his daughter and he started he's holding it against the side of his face and sobbing and you can't yeah. tell if he's laughing or crying <laughs> like if you turn the volume off yeah but that's okay like it's kind of interesting to see him just do something different well you know i've always thought that he kind of gets i know i've mentioned this on the show before kind of gets uh not given some of the credit that he deserves i mean like everyone's like oh yeah he's a great action star blah 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 but he actually does have a fair amount of acting chops, at least for certain things. He has very good timing, which is why he's so great in comedies. Uh, early on in his career, I don't think he he was necessarily the world's greatest actor, but he has such commitment to everything that he does that he's like made himself a good actor. And he's obviously super limited in range based on a certain characteristics that he possesses, you know, one of being his physique and... You know, it's harder for him to play just the every guy, particularly at this stage in his life when he's at his peak huge. No, this isn't his peak hugeness, but he's still really fucking huge. Uh, the movie Maggie, I don't know if you saw that. It's more, one of his more recent movies. It's not a good movie, but he's great in it. He plays like a very like subdued, like low-key, understated character, and he really pulls it off. I mean, it's not the world's in the realm of like actors, period, is it? The greatest performance of all time? Absolutely not. But it's a very, very good performance, and particularly from someone who's not uh, expected to deliver the goods in that respect a lot of times. Well, and I think that's been a huge contribution to him being able to play those roles is being older and having sort of a deflated physique, like being mm-hmm. less of a sort of imposing statuesque figure. Like right. opens him up to vulnerability and relatability as more Absolutely, of a, just a yeah. normal human being versus, you know, looking like a superhero and right. like I, in Total Recall and right uh, the Running Man trying to be like oh, I'm just a regular Joe like you I'm just fucking massive and can like do things that no one else can do. Well, frankly, I even look at like when he's in in Total Recall. When is he actually the best in that movie? It's not when he's playing the straightaway action star, which he's. There's no, not, nothing wrong there, but when he's playing the confused guy, right? When he's playing the confused guy who's also kind of confused, it seems like sometimes he is confused about, like, why he is so physically strong, you know? Yeah, that's actually, there. there's a lot of good moments where he'll do something and then just sort of, like, look at his hands or, like, not understand, right. like, how he can do the things that he can do. Right, yeah. It's, uh, it's I mean, it's much better than J- Jason Bourne uh, in that first Bourne movie. Um, and he, and now you said like the deflated physique and stuff. He's still obviously in great shape, but if you put a shirt on him, you can't tell that he's you know jacked anymore. You know, exactly. Like, all all he does is sort of look like he may have been an athlete in his thirties. Right. right. Whereas like you couldn't hide that in the in the nineties, just like how big he was. Now, did you like uh, the sort of countdown motif? that's sort of peppered throughout the movie as we're counting down in the days and hours towards the end of the millennium when the clock strikes because Satan has to impregnate crit this Christine character, uh, by the, by the stroke of midnight in order to unleash the antichrist. Right. I did. I did like it and not necessarily because I thought it was necessary. Um, I liked it because obviously this movie was filmed probably in like 1998 you know, a year prior to the actual events, but it ended up mirroring what was happening in reality because we approached the end of the millennium. Every time you turned on the TV or whatever, there was some type of countdown going on in the week 
leading up to to the year 2000 on New Year's Eve. So it actually works really well. I don't know if they just made a, a good guess or it was a happy accident that that mirrored reality, but because of that, it kind of grounds it more into that feeling of what was going on uh, historically at that time. No, I liked it. I don't think it necessarily uh, helped kind of up the ante on the drama or uh, suspense or anything like that, but just as like a stylistic choice, I liked it. Right. I liked the, the real footage of the crowds in Times Square kind of screaming and, and waiting for the new year to come in. Right. It just helps kind of give this a little bit more of a real world grounding. You really, for, for it to up the ante in tension, you really only need that timer at the very end. And that could be just like the, the last 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever, you know, where it's like, oh shit, we got to scramble to, to stop this type of yeah. thing. Here's one thing I really liked. I'm such a sucker for crucifixions as like a mm-hmm. sort of a horror. Oh yeah. I guess trope because visually it always looks interesting. Like the, the religious, the religious angle to it when someone goes to the deliberate kind of posing of a victim, it always mm-hmm. just adds a layer of kind of terror to yeah. the whole thing. So when Jericho Cain finds the, the priest crucified to the ceiling or when he gets crucified himself uh, to the side yeah. of a building, especially that building crucifixion and they're, they're sort of finding him with the spotlights uh, yeah, and, and there's a bunch an, of junk attached alley. to it. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of really great visuals in this movie. A lot of them, too, are just kind of like, some of them are just kind of like, oh, this is edgy, you know, like, type of stuff. Yeah, there is a lot of sort of visual resemblance to, like, say, the movie Seven, which is kind yeah. of very pervasive in this time period. Like, lots of very dark, high contrast, like, you know, underground with flashlights or outside with rain uh, and just all that kind of stuff. But it's done well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some other things I really like about this movie. I wrote down something in my notes that I don't actually remember. And it said, like, he just leaves the stigmata woman. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, there's that old lady. Uh, uh, she's in bed in the church. Oh, right, yeah. And then, like, yeah, she, like, he, Arnold's, and he's, like, Rod Stagger's, like, forget what you've seen here. And yeah, like, what? exactly. He's just, like, whatever. Okay, you got this old, I don't know you guys. You got this old lady tied up in a basement. Yeah. And she's bleeding all over the place. He's, like, I'm out of here. And he doesn't give a shit, even though, like, his whole thing is, like, I'm trying to stop bad things. Yeah, that part is amazing. That's, and that's why I also like Rod Steiger in this movie. Like, he's just, like, so, he's just, you said he, like, seems like he's phoning it in. But to me, he's, it's, it's, is is just this feeling of just, like, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. I've seen Satan a million times. I'm not shocked. Yeah, he's very matter-of-fact, as if this is all very, like, mundane to him. Really works for me. What did you think of the uh, three-way the devil has with the mother and daughter when they start molding into each other? Uh, I think that's actually very gross and cool. Yeah. Like, the fact that they all, like, start absorbing together and becoming, like, a single organism. And, like, he's seemingly feeding off their nutrients in order to preserve his body. It was very reminiscent of that movie Society. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Except there's no yeah. sort of butthole talking to anyone. <laughs> right, yeah. That would have I... really like made it a home run. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But then I love, because I was so enamored with the scene, I was like, this is gross and weird, and I don't know, don't know how I'm going to feel about this in the morning. Right. And then before I could even be like, where is this going? Like, are, is he going to just suck them all up or what? Then it becomes, uh, it's a nightmare. It's one of Christine's nightmares. She wakes right. up from it and is like, oh my God, what the hell? Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. Was it a nightmare or is she just watching what's actually a happening? premonition. Yeah, watching what's happening in her dream. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's quite as cool as, say, the like wall of souls that uh, uh, the devil's advocate has, but it is still mm-hmm. pretty, it's definitely one of those moments where you feel kind of like, like you want to wipe the grime off your skin a little bit. I will, yeah, ninety percent of this movie I, I really enjoy. I do think it's a little overlong. If when the movie feels like it's about to end, there's actually like an hour left, and which is fine. It's not that that, that I was bored for that last hour, but I just think there could have been some chopping out. The scene where Arnold shoots Kevin Pollock to make sure he's not the devil or a devil concubine or whatever devil assistant. That scene is a. Uh, that's one of the ones where it's like the tough guys, like ex cop scenes where it doesn't work. Also, Kevin Pollock takes getting shot very well. He's just like, why'd you do that? Yeah, I felt like that should have been like the like the obvious evidence is like he was mm-hmm. very nonplussed by. It. He was annoyed, but uh, yeah, it didn't seem to bother him. And then it's revealed later on that he is in fact uh, a tool of the devil because he seemingly died. I like the way they play off each other, though. I think Kevin Pollock just sort of like sarcastically you know, riffing through this movie is, is perfectly fine. There's also a great interview with him where he's like, the only way I could stand out in this movie around all of these actors is by growing a goatee. (laughs) (laughs) Like that was his, he's like, Oh, if I grow this goatee, like that'll really get me noticed on screen. I think 90% of the time, the way him and Arnold play off each other is great. There was just a couple little bits like that one that didn't work for me. But they, I think they're a, a really like they oddly work really well together as a duo. I was super confused about why, like they just can't stop being cops. I guess because uh, they're on a security detail protecting this inve- investment banker who is revealed to mm-hmm. be Gabriel Byrne, aka Satan. And after a sniper tries to assassinate him, they chase the sniper. Uh, to what is seemingly a logical conclusion, but once they find him and he dies, they're obsessed with continuing to investigate, which is not their job. Well, that's funny too because he says I, it's his job, but it's not. Right. right. It was. It was weird because I didn't remember that he what like from watching it in the past. I didn't remember that he wasn't still a cop. And when I was watching it this time, I think I must have been writing down a note or something when they mentioned that that they're a private security detail because I thought that he was just being assigned to protect the Gabriel Byrne character and that he was a cop and that the CCH Pounder, like the, the officer in charge, just didn't want him on the case anymore. And that, But he was like, whatever, she can't tell me what to do. I'm going to keep investigating because he also goes down it seems like he goes down to the police department and uses their computers a lot yeah 
And then it's like halfway through the movie, he goes, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a retired cop. And I was like, what? Yeah. And he's like constantly on the investigation. He's trying to stay one step ahead of the police. And it's like, why, why do you care so much? Which could have worked if it was more personally, he was more personally invested for some reason. Yeah. Maybe it's because, you know, there's the scene where he says like the guy said all this stuff to him in the subway tunnel. And then. CCH Pounder's character is like, he's like, he doesn't have a tongue. He couldn't talk to you. Like, are you still drinking? Are you crazy? Maybe he was just like, I have to prove to myself that I didn't imagine this. But right. It's not... But you have to make that leap, right? Right. There's nothing there's, there's that shows ways... you that. Yeah. There's ways that we could have bought that even though he has no legal or professional obligation to keep investigating that he felt compelled to do so but it doesn't really establish that for you in the movie no there's no there's not even a pause he literally just picks up the matchbook and they immediately go to the bar from the matchbook and then from the bar they go to the underground priest layer i guess and I mean, start even, looking for clues there too and it's like without any pause or anything i mean even if it was just a line that like kevin pollock said like something like what is it with you? You know, 10 years later and you still can't stop being a cop. He's, you know, like you always have to investigate everything. This isn't our job, you know? This yeah. Isn't our or f- even just like, I got to find this guy's tongue. Right. You know, <laughs> something, something like little throwaway lines. I would just be like, yep, cool. Got it. No problem. But yeah, it, dro- it drops the ball right there. So the priest with the n- no tongue, right? Mm-hmm. He gets taken to the hospital where he's like barely alive. Mm-hmm. And Gabriel Byrne goes to visit him and is smoking a cigarette while he's yeah. in sort of like an oxygen tent almost. That whole setup screams to me like this is going to end with fire. Yes. yes. And then it doesn't. It, there's literally visual cues to set up right. a, a fire-based ending. I wonder if it was just because he already blew up the restaurant. And we're like, we, don't, we have to mix it up, like how he kills people. I yeah. don't know. Those explosions I mean, were fantastic, by the way. The sewer blowing up mm-hmm. and fire shooting out of the, the manhole covers and then the restaurant blowing up. Uh, those are pretty epic explosions. Yeah, there's some odd things in here, some odd choices, some little parts here and there that don't quite work. But they don't really distract from the movie overall. Maybe they keep it from being an all-time classic. But I still think this movie is significantly underlooked in Arnold Schwarzenegger's filmography. Yeah, it gets a bad rap because of the, oh, it's Arnold versus the devil. Oh, it's, uh, look at the bad effects, you know, CGI devil and this and that. But that stuff is uh, pretty minor. I mean, honestly, I'd rather watch this than Commando. What did you think of the design of the devil here? You get a sort of like a phantom type look to it which is a lot different than the kind of the demonic you know traditional horned look right um generally i'm not the hugest fan of like these this kind of has what i would call like melty demons where it's they're they're just kind of look like a i don't know like it's like i said i would i'd rank it into like the oh this is edgy this isn't your daddy daddy's devil or, or something i think the, the, but I do overall like the design of the devil in this one. Like generally, this style is not my favorite. I think it's pulled off pretty well here. Particularly, I think unfortunately, if you watch some of the uh, the like special f- features, the actual animatronic devil they made is amazing. 
and they do a lot of like augmenting it with CGI, which doesn't look bad. It's not bad CGI. I think it just kind of distracts away from um, the original desi- design, which I think was which was better on its own. Yeah, I think there's some good individual shots of that anim- animatronic when the devil uh, shows up at the church for the final showdown and reveals itself. Kind of, they do the whole dramatic like unfolding of the wings. And all that after Gabriel Byrne's body is destroyed. And I think it looks pretty good in a few shots there. Yes. But overall, I like the design. I think it's okay that they tried to do something different. They wanted something that fit in with the kind of almost like noir, like gritty cop vibe. And I think that the the design overall like fits in with that. And it's brief too. It's not like we're not oversaturated with these demonic uh, images too much. Um, so it doesn't, it, they never out, out, out where they're welcome. Yeah, no, it, it, it really stays away from being cartoony. You're right. Cause if, some of these movies, you movies, you just watch like the, these of this era, they're like demons in the background and they look so comic booky and like they have like, you know, like the 90 eyes and a thousand teeth demons type of thing. Um, which has been done cool, don't get me wrong, but it's it it they often feel kind of like Halloween store generic. Yeah, you better not be talking shit on in the mouth of madness. Oh no, not at all. That movie's fucking amazing. <laughs> like that's that's done absolutely one hundred percent right. You know, like I think there was there there was there was that, and then there was kind of like uninspired trying to do that type of thing. Like a lot of these, a lot of these. Designs and movies of this era just, like I said, like reminding me of walking into a Halloween store. Yeah, actually, the CGI in this movie gets a, a bad rap. And yeah, there's definitely some dodgy moments. I will say one of my favorite moments, though, is when Arnold is possessed by uh-huh. the devil. And he's sort of, he's being jerked around, like slammed against the floor and the wall. And his face starts to transform into a demon. That's actually mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments. I think that's really cool looking. The way his ear and like half of his face is sort of changing. Yeah. He's got like the perfect bone structure for it. So it's like a pretty seamless transition. But he's I sort of he fighting did, against it. I think he does a really good job in that uh, in that scene too of playing kind yeah. of like the, playing the devil. Playing it the way Gabriel Byrne's been playing it this whole time, but also playing it f- about him fighting against it. And like when he, when his own self pops back through here and there, it's, it's done pretty well. It's not, it doesn't feel hammy or forced. Um, spoiler alert. How do you feel about how he uh, sacrifices himself to save the devil or save the girl from the devil? <laughs> I wish he saved the devil. <laughs> It's like, wow, you were right all along, Satan. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to blow you up with a grenade. I mean, I guess he he delivers on the promise of, you know, his opening moments in the movie and he gets to end his life and be reunited with his family, but also uh prevent the, you know, the coming of the antichrist and save right. the day. And so Christine gets to uh, you know, live on and do what she wants to do with the rest of her life and the world continues to exist while uh, everybody gets to be a happy family in heaven. What's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with it. It's I the, will you say, get the fucking. It's the 
it's a wonderful life ending for Jericho yeah. Kane. <laughs> I think it's a little I really like it, even though it's a little on the nose of him impaling himself on the sword of the like angel statue. Uh it might be a little heavy handed, but I, I enjoy it. I don't really like uh like you see his family, right? Being like, Come be in heaven with us, Daddy, or something like that. Oh yeah. Not necessary. Like, I can put two and two together. Like, he's redeemed himself. He's not going to hell. He's going to meet his perfect family in heaven. Yeah, you could have just done, like, a a heavenly light on his face or something and, like, implied it, you know? Or, like, someone say, like, someone, you know, like, when the medical team show up to rescue uh, the young lady whose name I can't remember, and they say, like, what? They see Arnold on the sword. Like, what happened to him? And she could have said, like, he went home or something or, like... You know what they what they should have pulled a uh, last action hero and been like, "What's with this guy? Are you joking? This is just a flesh wound." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what is the one thing that could have made this movie better? And I'm not being completely serious here, but if instead of the climax taking place in a church, it took place in like a Planet like Hollywood. A con- Planet Hollywood. No, it took place in like a some computer building where he not only prevents the end of days but he stops y2k at the same time oh that would have been awesome because yeah that's not even mentioned here like there's no i think they make like a brief mention of it or something don't they like at the beginning but it's not it's not the focus of the movie Yeah, maybe like a small crack at it overall this is just a really fun movie it's got some good some great lines great visuals fun characters one of my favorite things was the fact that like whenever someone does uh, this sort of, and I, I think this goes all the way back to like the Omen, when you have like Satanists and cult members kind of hidden in plain view, mm-hmm. like Udo Kier plays uh, Christine's therapist and the uh, the lady that kidnapped her when she was a baby and gave her to the cult is like her, her... stepmom. Yeah, I love that shit so much. And there's a great fight scene between her and Arnold. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that stuff is great. And they do like that also is something that happens in Halloween 6. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that whenever it happens because it, it creates all these fun moments where like the camera lingers on that person. And it's like, oh, you realize who this is, don't you? But she has no idea. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. I also really liked how like Udo Kerr's devoted his entire life to Satan and has just been his like servant forever. And then he, he makes the slightest like foul up. He goes like, he's like, okay, I didn't get her over to the house right now. I'm going to go pick her up in a second. I'll be back in in five minutes. And then Satan just like punches a hole through his head. (laughs) (laughs) He's like the tiniest slip up and he's like, slip up. He's like, okay, you're fucking dead. That just goes to show what happens when you work for a rich investment banker? They don't That's suffer right. any fools. Nope. They don't have time for that. The stock at, market doesn't stop for you. At will employment, bitch. That's right. All right. Yeah, final thoughts. Anything else you want to add? Like, I, it's just a great little movie. Yeah, man. Like, uh, add this to your uh, 90s uh, religious panic playlist like i said all of those movies leading up to this are great even going all the way back to like the prophecy like the entire decade was great for (coughs) oh yeah yeah religious and occult movies and you could do a lot worse than uh end of days don't let the reviews fool you don't listen to this rotten tomatoes bullshit don't listen to the uh let's see uh nominated for three razzie awards don't listen to that shit 
yeah, great movie. Watch it this uh, New Year's Eve. And there's not a lot of movies to watch on New Year's Eve. They don't make movies about them. Like, there's a couple here and there, but it's not the focus. This one's all about what's going to happen on New Year's Eve. If it all ended tomorrow, what do you want your last thoughts to be? Arnold Schwarzenegger or, I don't know, Ryan Reynolds? I think the choice is pretty clear. Absolutely. Uh, We'll be back in 2022. With another episode, our 50th episode. Holy shit, 50 episodes? That might not seem like a lot. But keep Uh, in mind that uh, uh, since we started this show in 2016, there were a couple years where we only put out like three or four episodes. So to get finally to 50 episodes after ramping up the pace (coughs) earlier Mm -hmm. this year amidst a pandemic, it's a really big deal. Yeah. I cannot express how much I appreciate uh, all the people that listen to this show for whatever reason. I I can't determine why why anybody would check it out, but thanks to the people that do. Everyone from New Mexico and Ohio and uh, Arizona and California, Washington, Oregon, uh, uh, the Russian Federation, uh, Mm -hmm. Alaska everywhere across the world thanks a lot that's pretty dang cool it makes me feel pretty good and uh makes me want to keep going maybe we'll get to 100 episodes not too long from now yeah i echo what you say keith thanks a lot to everybody we're gonna have to do something special for our next one we might have to really think this one out not not phone not do a phone in episode uh Maybe we'll flip the script. Maybe do something a little different. Maybe we'll let the movies talk about us. <laughs> oh, in Soviet Union, movie talks about you. <laughs> I hate I hate that I just did that. I hate it so much. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll cut it out. <laughs> no, you won't. Um, yeah, maybe we'll just flip the script. Maybe we'll talk about a movie we hate. Maybe we'll talk about... Uh, some, maybe we won't even talk about a movie. Maybe we'll talk about a sandwich, you know, that looks like a movie. Um... Who knows? But it's going to be good. It's going to be big. It's going to be special. So tune in next time for more shows with us. And that's all I have to say, Keith. Just remember that when something good happens, it's God's will. And when something bad happens, it's the trash heap's will. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. See you in 2022. I've seen a lot too, but there's nothing that will make me cut my tongue out. Yeah, well, wait a few days.